0: Today we'll be starting a brand new series of chapter studies in the book of Hebrews. And I love the book of Hebrews. A lot of its chapters are very short, but they are packed with some really heavy stuff to chew on. Uh, Some of the things in this letter might at first glance seem very simple, but really the more you think about them and the more you discuss them, the deeper and more complex they become. I think that you'll find that the writer comes right out of the gate with this depth and complexity in chapter 1, which we will be studying this afternoon. But before we get into this chapter, I have a question for you. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? I'd like to read again... Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. Uh, We read that this morning, but I'd like to read it again um, because we address that question. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17 says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, the world hasn't really changed much since Jesus asked His disciples this question, has it? If you ask people in the world who Jesus is, you're bound to get all kinds of different answers. Some people might say, well, he was a great philosopher, and he had a lot of great ideas on how to live your life. Some people might say, well, he was, he was a great prophet. Some might say he was, uh, he was a created being, and God formed him in much the same way that he formed you and I. Of course, some will no doubt say that he was a lunatic, uh, plagued with illusions of grandeur and deity. When we are faced with this question, who is Jesus? We need to be like Peter. Instead of looking to flesh and blood for the answer, we need to look to our Father in heaven. We need to look to the Scriptures. And, friends, There is no better place to look for a thorough description of the Son of God than Hebrews chapter 1, I believe. In a moment, we're going to take a look at that chapter and dive into what it has to say about this Jesus. Right out of the gates in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where we're actually going to spend... majority of our time this afternoon. We learn at least five characteristics of Jesus. And I have them written on the board here. If you can't read them, the first is that He is the mouth of God. And the second is that He is the power of God. He is the image of God. He is the mercy of God. And He is the glory of God. I think we learn those five things at least about the character of Jesus. The Hebrew writer has so much to say about Jesus in such a compact statement. We're really going to break it down. Read with me, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets... "...has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. First, Jesus is the mouth of God. God who at various times and "...in various ways spoke times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son." Not only is He the mouth of God, He is the perfect mouth of God. Some people today want so badly, and I'll never understand this, they want so badly to revert back to the days of the prophets... They want to bring back the Old Testament method of revelation, but I don't think they realize just how much better Jesus is than that. First of all, before Jesus, God's revelation was given at various times, says the Hebrew writer. The Old Testament, much unlike the New, was revealed and written over the period of hundreds and hundreds of years, bit by bit, prophet by prophet, piece by piece of God's revelation was brought to man. It was like seeing starlight. A star here and a star there, and there's just enough to piece together little constellations in the sky. Just enough to see your hand in front of your face. And then, boom! The sun pierces through the darkness as it crests over the horizon, and that's... Jesus. That's Jesus. Never before was there such a coherent and complete and concentrated revelation of God. Over the span of just three years, uh, Jesus and then after Jesus, His apostles, uh, they completed God's revelation over the span of a few years. In the old form of Revelation, it was also given in various ways. God's truth before Jesus was never given in one direct statement. Instead, it came in many forms, through visions, through types, through symbols. It was given to one prophet in one way and another prophet in another way. But Jesus speaks to all men the same way through His example and through the inspired words of His chosen apostles. Finally, verse 1 says that the old form of revelation was given by the prophets. And I think that's another distinction we can make between the old form and the new form of revelation. It was given by the prophets. The prophets were mere men. They were imperfect and they made mistakes. They sinned. James says in James chapter 5 that Elijah, what a great prophet Elijah was, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, he says. Jesus, on the other hand, is different. Jesus is the perfect mouth of God because His lips belong to the body of the only person who ever lived and died on this earth without sin. Jesus never sinned and yet was subject to temptation just like us. Jesus is different than the, than the prophets. Jesus is better than the old form of revelation. He's much brighter, more compact, more concise, more understandable. Jesus is the mouth of God. He would say Himself in John 14, 23-24, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him. And He will come to Him and make our home with Him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In these last days, God has spoken to us by Jesus. And and I think that's important to realize. It says has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. And that's past tense. He's already spoken through His Son. It's all written for us in the Scriptures, in the the letters from the apostles. Um, It's all written down for us. We can look to the Word and understand it. God has in these last days, that's today, these are the last days, the last dispensation of time, In these last days, spoken to us by His Son. There's no other revelation that's coming, and we don't need one, because Jesus is perfect. Second point, I think we realize, is that Jesus is the power of God. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. He's the power of God. The Hebrew writer says that God made the worlds through Jesus. You know, that reminds me of another passage. That's John chapter 1. 1. Straight where my mind goes. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Skipping down. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word is Jesus. Jesus was present at the creation. You ever just think about that and and truly think about the implications of that? And not only was He present, but... All things were made through Him. Do you realize the implications of this? First of all, that means that Jesus isn't simply a created being like you and me. Jesus didn't have a beginning like you and me. In fact, it seems to me that Jesus is the one doing the creating. That's what it sounds like to me. This also means that through the entirety of the Old Testament, Jesus was there. He was present and He was watching and He was witnessing everything happen. He was there the whole time. He witnessed the fall of man whom He had co-created. He witnessed the flood. He witnessed the Israelites failing Him over and over. And yet, He still came and died for them. He came and died for us. That's powerful. That's powerful. Jesus, one of the most powerful sayings of Jesus to me. Jesus can say, Before Abraham was, I am. I am before Abraham was. That's powerful. The heir of all things and co-creator of the universe coming to earth to seek the lost and die for His creation. Wow. Jesus, third, Jesus is the image of God. He says, Through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. What an awe-inspiring inspiring statement. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of His person. Turn with me to John chapter 9, or chapter 14, rather. John chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. There, I think we see a quite powerful interaction between Philip and Jesus. John chapter 14 verses eight through 11 reads like this: Philip said to him, "Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us." Jesus said to him, "Have I been with you so long and yet, You have not known me, Philip. Ooh, if you're Philip, his shivers are going down your spine. Yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, do I not speak? On my own author- I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Up until the time that Jesus was born, no one had seen the face of God. Jesus made that possible for the first time in the history of creation men could peer into the compassionate eyes of their creator they could watch as he walked up to embrace the sick and lepers with his arms and hold them to heal them and and of course if you know anything about the way that Jesus worked he didn't have to touch them for that to work he could he demonstrated that he could Heal people from a distance and and not even, they they weren't even anywhere near him. But Jesus, witnessing Jesus, the image of God, holding a sick person, holding a leper to heal them, Jesus makes that possible. They They could watch, they could follow him as he walked from town to town searching for. Sin sick and needy people, Jesus is the image of God and Jesus is the mercy of God. The Hebrew writer says, He had by Himself, by Himself, purged our sins. Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of God's mercy on the earth in John chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 uh, such a popular such a popular moment in scripture but for a good reason John 4 verses 13 through 17 Jesus says to Nicodemus no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven that is the son of man who is in heaven and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Don't let the popularity of that passage cause it to lose its meaning. Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of God's mercy and compassion for creation. Jesus, the mouth and the power and the express image of God sent to earth with eyes like ours and hands and feet like ours, lived to die for our sins. Like the song says, crucified, laid behind the stone, you lived to die, rejected and alone. Like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Jesus the King humbled himself to a lowly life and a lowly death, but then Then he was raised, and then he was glorified. Jesus is the glory of God. Number five. The Hebrew writer says, When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they You know, I was talking to Noah about this chapter, as he mentioned, and he brought up something interesting. Um, Apparently, there was a, a religious poll taken a while back to see what sort of thing did people believe in. Just a general poll. And the results of this poll showed that more people believed in angels than people who believed in God. Isn't that fascinating? Do you believe that? I mean, people are really fascinated by angels. And perhaps rightly so, but Jesus is far greater, far greater. And the Hebrew writer continues to say that not only is Jesus greater than the angels, not only is He mightier and more glorified than the angels, but in fact the angels worship Him. Isn't that amazing? Let's read the rest of the chapter. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And the angels of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits? And his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And, O Lord, he says to the sun, "O Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment. You will, like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail." But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Jesus is so much greater than the angels. He is the mouth, the power, the image, the mercy, and the glory of God manifest in a human body to walk and to talk and He would weep and He would die for His creation. If anyone tries to tell you otherwise, you bring them to Hebrews chapter 1, and you show them where the Father says to the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Friends, it's, it's great to marvel at the angels. And it's a good thing for us to wonder about such a mysterious and fascinating area of God's creation like angels. But we need to keep in mind that their soul existence Like in that last verse we read, their sole existence, much like ours, is to serve their Creator. Don't let the servants distract you from the Master.